Hey, you jabronis. Welcome to another episode of Jabronis Only. Now, because we talk about specific episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, it's a great idea to go and watch the episode in question before you listen along. Um, if you don't want to do that, what the hell? You'll still have a great time on this podcast. But today we're talking about Season 7, Episode 8, which is Frank's Back in Business. Treat yourself, go and watch the episode, and then enjoy this show. Welcome to the seventh episode of Jabronis. I'm sitting here in uh, Stockport, Manchester, for want of a better area. Over in Murfield is Tom Coates, and I ain't heard that name in a long time. <laughs> I will say I, I, I rail against regionalising where I'm from. So you've, you've, you've just attributed Stockport to Manchester there. I'll yeah. never ever do that. If you don't know where Murfield is, then that's, your look's out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you, you've had it. Like we didn't know where Boko Raton was in a you know earlier episode. But and, and interestingly enough, you know the band um, Blossoms. Yeah, they've done very well in the last few years. They all they're always insistent and in saying they're not from Manchester. They're from Stockport. They've done a lot for the town. Released a lot of their records here, and you know had gigs in a small town. So fair play to the Blossoms. Take that to its logical conclusion, and you just end up with everybody being from five cities in the UK. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how it works. Yeah, I'm not into that. We're on. We're actually on camera. We can see each other. But I found something. I've got this book of boring postcards. It is brilliant. But I um, found there's one in here of because oh, it's going to be really boring radio. What school did you? What was your high school? It's called Castle Hall. So it wasn't Murfield. There's there's Murfield Free Grammar, which is about 500 yards up the road from where I am now. But that was that was the other school in Murfield. Was that the better school? You weren't good enough to go to grammar school. No, it wasn't. It's the better school now, but it wasn't when I was that at school. I don't know why it's the better school now, but it is. It just is. Let me see. It's not the uh, Austin Taylor Factory in Bethesda, Wales. It's not the new Technical College in Blackburn. Or Watfield College of Technology in Hatfield. It's Murfield Modern School. Wow, that's impressive. Can you see that? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm holding it up to the to the laptop there. So, which one's Murfield Modern School I think, then? I think Murfield Modern School became Murfield Free Grammar. Right. Okay. It certainly didn't become Castle Hall. So, unless there was another school that just down, I don't know. What's that? What 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 inspired the purchase of that book then? I think it was a present. Oh, cool! But it, but it is brilliant because like some of the postcards, there's like literally some, some of just a road, you know, like a bend, <laughs> <laughs> a bend in a road. It's brilliant. Really, I've really got good. a book of, um, I've got a book that people make fun of me of, and it's, it's a map. I don't know if I've told you this before. It's, it's a map of all the metro and transit and underground systems. You know, there's a page for every underground and transit system around the world. So you've got obviously the London Underground, but you've got all the other cities as well, and it's brilliant. But everyone thinks it's really boring, but I think it's really interesting. That sounds ace. Uh, the, one of the things I really love about going to a new city is if they've got an underground. I love the Paris metro. Yeah. Uh, when I've been to Lisbon, one of my best memories of being in Lisbon was going on the metro. I want, wanted to go to Lisbon this year. Thank you, lockdown. Thank you, COVID-19. <laughs> Lisbon was on the list. 
Great city. A lot of people pushing drugs, but apart from that, a great city. <laughs> <laughs> My friend Andy, he, he went uh, last year. He thought he was being mugged and someone was pushing drugs to him. Uh, the thin line. It is a thin line. But we're not here to talk about Lisbon or Murfield or boring postcards. We're here to talk about It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Season 8, Episode 7, which is... France back in business. And boy, is he back in business. Brilliant episode. Do you want me to go through the synopsis? Give us the synopsis. The synopsis is as follows. When Frank's old company runs into trouble, he puts on his CEO suit and heads into the corporate jungle. But his decision to make Charlie his right-hand man isn't the best. Dennis is mistaken for a Canadian businessman after finding his wallet at the bar and uses his new identity in disturbing ways. <laughs> and that's it. that is a pretty good summation of this episode. It's a long it's a long summation, but I think it deserves a long summation. Let's start from the start. This is we often talk about well I often talk about it because I think I want to sound like I know what I'm talking about in TV like terms. This is a proper cold open in that yeah. You've got no idea who's talking and why they're talking and what they're talking about. And you get a double scene before the titles, which is very, very rare. Mm-hmm. So it is great because the, the overacting of the um, of the businessmen around the table at Walton yeah. Business is in, in trouble. So it's the company that Frank owns, isn't it? And they decide that they're in big trouble and they have to bring him back in. And then they cut to Frank and Charlie. Yeah, it's and, an episode. Uh, it just it just rattles through cliches at different stages, and the first sort of cliche it tackles is that first scene. And you're right, you start off it's a totally different setting with people we don't recognise. And I remember watching it for the first time and being perplexed and wondering where it would, would go. But they transition away from it really well, don't they? To the next scene, they do. They, they absolutely do. And um, as soon as they say bring in the warthog, and you see Frank, you kind of know. You know, as soon as I say the the warhog, you know who the warhog's going to be, and uh, you kind of know that he's going to say I, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time, <laughs> and it's great because at that moment Charlie's standing on his back searching for crow's eggs out their window. So it's like they're making the point that they couldn't be any further away from a man who runs a multi-million pound business. I like in that scene as well. Before we get onto the quotes, where where one of the the business the business people says that man's from another time. <laughs> and they do they're at pains to make sure that everybody us as the viewers know that it's from another time by the braces the color of the shirts the way that they both have their hair slicked back yeah they, yeah they absolutely layer it layer it on so um it's interesting this one in terms of characters because there's a lot of peripheral characters in this but there's only one really who to me stands out who does anything like interesting the, the mm-hmm. rest are just stooges and that's quite often the case but they really are just stooges they're just background in this the only guy i would say as a character who stands out is the photocopier kid (laughs) (laughs) he's just he's so well cast um you know it's the way he looks and he just does such a great job of letting frank just completely berate him i think when he uses the word darn the darn thing (laughs) on print that's the use of that single word tells you everything about the character yeah and also because he's young and he is like a bit of a school kid. He's completely, he's down on the floor. He's bent over like on his haunches and he still yeah. can't get in the machine. It's really well done. So shout out to a guy called Chad Jamian, who's done some work with uh, Brian Hecker, who's another comedy genius. Shout out to Chad. I don't know if you wanted to call out any other characters. No, as you say, I think that there are quite a lot of it. So I suppose there's um, the, the majority of shareholders of Atwater 
I can't remember the names now that the guys that um, Brian Lefebvre's introduced to. Yeah, the two businessmen. They, you never really find out their names. Oh, you do right at the start. Right at the start. Dennis introduces right them. Dennis pulls off his master bluff saying thought you'd be the other way around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They do a great job. They're very good at the stooges that they need to be. Mm-hmm. There's three other characters. They're all characters within characters because you've got, of course, Brian Lefebvre himself. Yeah. You've got uh, Prudence Lefebvre. And you've got uh, the reappearance of Vic Vinegar. Yeah, the return of Vic. Yeah. What a balls up he makes of that. And there's also, I suppose you could say, there's the caddy, the golf caddy. Oh, yeah, he's great. Which, again, is very well cast. He does a really good job because you, you know, you genuinely think what Dennis thinks. <laughs> that's great acting and that's great writing. They start off, we get the um, the traditional division of the uh, of the players straight away. So we've got Frank and Charlie who uh, who come in after D and Mac and Dennis have found the wallet and decide to keep it as yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> and why why they even bother counting for the uh, is it 12 hours or 24 hours they yeah no, they're decide. counting down out they're trying to do things above board yeah i don't know if that's a th- is that a thing in the uk where if you find someone's wallet you can have it after 24 hours no I, I, and to be honest it probably isn't a thing in america i mean <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We were sort of making an assumption on their part that they are actually following a rule that exists. It could well be the case that it doesn't. Go through the scenes. I think, yeah, as I say, that first one is just so good because you've got everything in there. You've got Boomer, got your wallet uh, straight away. As soon as they get the wallet, they're, they're absolutely delighted. Then uh, Dennis decides to be uh, Brian Lefebvre and, uh, and then um, Charlie and Frank come in and they've got their 80s gear on. We understand the division for this episode straight away. Who's on what side? One, one interesting thing about the division for this episode is how happy um, Mac and Dennis are to, to bring Dee along. And that took me aback a little bit because obviously throughout it, you know, they push her out and they don't want to engage her at all. But in this episode, they're very much keen on her coming along and tagging along and being part of their little adventure. Yeah, I mean, even the last line of that first scene, suck, a, suck on a boner. <laughs> they, they think they laugh with her rather than at her for once yeah. and it's only when when they get to the box and she starts <laughs> she starts doing her uh, prudence lefebvre accent and stuff that she really starts pushing it they uh <laughs> they start thinking of, of getting rid of her yeah to be honest it, it emerges as you get further into the episode that you know dennis is is humoring them and, and tolerating them because it furthers his own agenda and he needs the sort of window dressing and the context for who he is mac blows it really early on by announcing himself as vic vinegar bodyguard <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and and yeah in the second scene they get to to live the dream that i want to live they go to see a phillies game yeah they get they get in a box again obviously with no involvement of the phillies whatsoever because you can tell all the pictures and everything on the wall are all dead generic but the start of that scene when they get to the box is is just amazing because they just completely hit rock bottom. They're, they're in the gutter straight away because Mac's trying to nick the cutlery and, and Dee's trying to get the batteries out of the remote. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. And I think, obviously, it just it elevates Dennis and Dennis's own perception of himself really well. Because, yeah, he, they, he's got no idea at that stage what the setup for Lefebvre is going to be. As you say, he's already, the wheels are in motion for him to start playing another character getting somebody else's skin he always like throughout the series and throughout all the episodes he always wills himself or desires something better than he already has and he always always sees himself as being you know above the rest of the gang and aspiring to something greater and every time there's this sort of opportunity 
he always defaults to that to see this as his passage to being something better, even if it's just temporary. And I think he knows from the start that he's eventually going to get found out, but he just relishes that chance to make himself into somebody better, somebody more respected. And even the way he dresses, so there's the uh, scene where they arrive at the, the golf club at the resort and the way that Dennis is just dressed. He doesn't overdo it, but he's dressing in a very different way from what he normally dress. And he does it in such yeah. a sort of way that he actually wants to be this person. Whereas, you know, conversely, you look at what Max's wearing, he's got the big bag, like, USA flag shirt on. He doesn't care. He's just like, and he doesn't care either. They're just in it for free stuff and just to get what they can out of it. Whereas Dennis really te- treats it as a, a serious opportunity to be somebody better, even if it's just temporarily. That shirt that Mac wears is one of the worst shirts I've ever seen in my life. There's a lot going on, isn't there? <laughs> there is, there's a lot to unpack on that shirt. Um, but you're right, and, and that's something they do in the show really well, that whenever there's a yardstick introduced for Dennis to kind of measure himself against, he always gets beaten with that yardstick. So, the, you, know, you know, I'm a five-star man, that, the, the rating episode, when it, that excellent scene where he tries to get the waitress to, to rate him by taking yeah. her to Gugino's and then she doesn't even have a phone. She says it doesn't have it online. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many examples of that whenever he, when he tries to sell the car, when he tries to, when they go on the boat because of the implication all that, whenever there's a yardstick, he always loses out. When it becomes the, one of the, uh, hopefully we'll get to do it, when it becomes the economy Economy Dennis, where it's one of the new, new seasons and he meets those fantasy football guys and he, want, he just tries to reinvent himself as one of those people. And again, it backfires. Yeah, it's spectacularly because he can't be one of those people and he ends up driving a hybrid, some kind of Toyota hybrid. <laughs> and D gets starts going out with those flashy women as well. So gets so beaten down in that episode. They all do it. They all do it to diff- to, in different ways and they all tr- try to become different people. But... Dennis is the only one, as I say, that, that treats it seriously and, and does long for something better for himself. Even like the fact that he, he, he departs, like his exit from the series where he, he has he has um, Brian Jr. He's yeah. willing to sort of lead a double life just to become something else or somebody else. Yeah, and that's why uh, making Dennis a serial killer or what, making making Dennis, is it making Dennis a, a murderer or making yeah, it his full name? Making Dennis Reynolds a a murderer is really good because he plays it as if he could be because, (laughs) and he's quite willing to do that because, as you say, he just wants to inhabit somebody else's skin. And as he says in this episode, that's because that will get him off. Yeah, we would say in the the summation, the synopsis, about using his new identity in disturbing ways. (laughs) Yeah, to him, that is fun, the best it could possibly be the photocopier scene comes at the end of like Charlie and Frank Frank being the warthog coming back. Basically it's like a scene within a scene, but yeah. um, I've put that on the list of, of the best of the top three, but it is great when, um, when they, when they're walking along, the guy says to, you know, Charlie, who is this? And Frank makes them all kind of hustle <laughs> at the end. And then there's the, the caddy scene is a great scene. Because, again, it's so well done because you don't know what's coming. And the way, <laughs> this show being what it is, he could quite easily have had sex with a, a young Asian boy in a, in a golf club. <laughs> he had, his, he had his, uh, his zip, he had his fly unfastened, didn't he? Yeah. And that's how far he went. And you'd see him sort of psyching himself up to do it and really believing that he has to do it and that he can do it. But also, you know, Max role in that scene is brilliant. Uh, and he, he just sort of plays... By the everyman, if you like. I mean, I'm sure you can think of a more technical term for what he is. <laughs> he's like, like, well, no, he likes 
bagging you an Asian boy, so I quit. I'm out. <laughs> and I think that sort of frames up, exaggerates who Dennis is really well, if you put it in that context. Yeah, exactly. And as you say, yeah, Mac plays a great foil for that in that. Foil, he doesn't. Yes. He doesn't have to do much to do it, but it, it really works because of the way he does it. Just as a bit of acting and timing, Den- Dennis redoing up his belt as he's talking. Absolutely spot on. Yeah, brilliant. Really good scene. So the three scenes that I've picked out as the best are the photocopier scene. It's peak warthog. It's exactly how you would expect the warthog to be. You've got the sushi scene, which we haven't discussed yet, and the last scene. The sushi scene, there's so much, again, there's so much to unpack at that. You know, there's the the really obvious joke when he says, I want sushi to be the tits, and then I want it off the tits. So, you know, they actually do it, which is just amazing. But one of my absolute go to moments in the whole series, in the whole of the show, in all 14 series, is Charlie introducing himself to the, uh, the Japanese investors. It's yeah. just. <laughs> He, when he he's himself as um, Charles Kelly, doesn't he? He's speaking English, but in what he thinks is a Japanese asket, <laughs> accent. And uh, he says, we like have many Swedish naked stuff. women for you. <laughs> it sounds like Swedish towards the end of it, doesn't it? But I just literally, when the first time I saw that, I was literally a tea spit, like spitting out your drink kind of like unbelievable. That's always been one of my things. And, and, and again, you know, he gets fired in that scene and they keep <laughs> they keep doing the thing where they uh, they turn away and then turn back and keep nodding as if that's okay. It's like a convention that they have to observe. That's why that's my second uh, choice of scene. And my third choice for you is just the last scene. It's a bit it's a bit like an arrested development kind of scene that where so many times in arrested development people go off and do their separate things and it all comes together in one thing at the end. Yeah, that's kind of what happens here. Dennis admits to getting off. Frank sells <laughs> sells the company. You've got the thing with the finger, and you've got the fight milk video. Fight milk. I totally forgotten that this was the episode that fight milk debuted. Even yeah, to me too. Where, where Charlie and Mac stormed in. In my mind's eye, and I was remembering watching the episode previously. I thought it was just that they'd reveal that he's that Dennis isn't Brian Lefebvre, and I I totally forgotten that that was the fight milk debut. Because we, we reviewed the episode where Fight Milk returns, don't we? The Wolf, we Wolf did, Cop, yeah. The public relations nightmare. But I, I couldn't place when the debut was. So it's already a fantastic episode. But then you realise that it's also the debut of Fight Milk. And it's, it's so well done as well, if you think about it. Because it does come out of left field, but they do frame it up really well. So obviously you get the crow's eggs established very early in the episode. M- mentioned multiple points throughout the episode. And then you get like Mac's growing obsession with brand. And he wanted to, initially wants to create a resort for bodyguards yeah. <laughs> and then quits. But then he's still got this sort of desire to create something, create a brand, to create a product. And Charlie's obviously got his frustration as well. And I was going to mention this. Well, I think one of the funny things about this episode is that by this point in the series, as a fan, you obviously you understand who Frank is and you understand that in the past he was in business and he made lots of money. But they never reveal what he did. And <laughs> watching this episode for the first time, you think, oh, you're going to finally find out you know, what business it was. And there's the scene where they're getting fitted up for tennis, tennis outfits. Yeah. Uh, tennis squash, uh, racquetball, isn't it? Racquetball, sorry. And Charlie asks him, and he's sort of playing the the fan, really. He's asking Frank, what does that water do? What does that water make? Obviously, the way they've written it is just to sort of palm off that conversation. It's sort of poking fun at the audience a little bit. Because everybody, I mean, I'm speaking for myself, but I was really, remember watching the first time thinking, oh, it'd be really interesting to see what Frank does, what his business actually does. 
but they take the mick like they say well we just make money we create wealth and then it's never ever revealed yeah but it's also a little sly dig at uh, capitalism i think plenty of hedge funds and stuff that that don't really <laughs> do anything apart from move money about well, they, they, they rattle through the cliches, don't they? So they're getting fitted for their outfits. Charlie's like going through a checklist of things he's done. So apart from like the sushi with the Japanese business Japanese businessmen, there's like, oh, I've got rid of that old piece of crap jet and got you a new one. But, you know, they're yeah. sort of rattling through the sort of like capitalistic um, cliches. And it's mm. all against the backdrop of Frank having arrived to save the business. Yeah, he's still doing all this reckless spending. <laughs> yeah, and the, the first line in that scene is great. It says, longer in the sock and higher in the thigh, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I had down as, as my lines. But, yeah, and the fight milk video is just, just one of the best. And it's one of the best because they don't try and – often they try and cram too – well, I wouldn't say too many things, but they cram – one of the jokes is just cramming a lot of different things. Apart from the, the one slide where it's got money and Nicolas Cage in it, <laughs> for some reason it's <laughs> Nicolas Cage apart from that it's just them two and it's just cuts of those two Charlie keep getting it wrong and you know for bodyguards and Charlie it's just a really well done video yeah and it's you can tell they had fun filming it and creating it yeah you can definitely tell it, it's them two but as we always say as videos they're a, they are such a such a little easter egg for us sunny fans and we always love to see them it's great how that's the that, that's the solution that they reach. So when they've got an issue or they want, they want to achieve something, quite often the solution is we're going to make a video. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and they don't get any better, which is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so out of those three scenes, which is your favourite, or you can pick one that I haven't mentioned as your favourite? Uh, well, the, the one that, yeah, that I flagged that was just sort of getting fitted up for their, their racquetball outfits and going through the 80s business cliches. But I think the fight milk video and i think the whole like end scene is just really good beyond just the fight milk video but yeah fight milk just is is one of those there are so many but it's just one of those sort of aspects of the episode that becomes bigger than the episode itself and becomes you know part of the culture of the show as a product and you know we've obviously revisited it in a fairly big way later in the series whether or not they'll do it again i'm not sure but i think it's, it's one of those things that's just Got, got an identity of its own within the show. So for that reason, that's the best scene. I like your reasoning. It's very sound. So lines, I'm going to throw some lines at you. Um, yeah. I'm going to be popping these crow's eggs in the fridge. Do not touch them. What <laughs> makes that line is that Dennis goes, we won't. <laughs> I like that, um, you know, Charlie becomes the businessman and, he's, and Frank's taking him under his wing. But he, he hasn't shed any of his old characteristics. He still sees crow's eggs as a valuable commodity. So it's still Charlie being the businessman it's not yeah businessman charlie abandoning all his old values he's bringing his values with him and i love that and yeah and, and and in a way we're getting really deep here but it's the opposite of dennis who absolutely wants to be a brian lefebvre yeah. and wants to be somebody different so it's like the opposite of that he wouldn't retain any aspect really of his of his old life but charlie would yeah, and the next the next kind of line shows that up as well because um, Dennis says Charlie can't read, and Frank says he'll adapt, and, <laughs> and Dennis says he'll adapt to reading. <laughs> yeah. right. There's a re there's a really good some really good lines, but I've only copied down the um, the end of it. But when they first arrive in the box, and Mac talks about he's scoped out the only exit, and he talks about springing off and doing a, a tuck and roll. And he says, Dennis, if I had a gun with me, I'd be spraying bullets into the air as I fell. I literally had those those three 
written down. So I think we're definitely on the same page there. But I also one of the other ones I had was again it's when they're when they're just establishing who the warthog is. One of the first observations he makes is that there are too many minorities and women working here. <laughs> and yeah. again, it's similar to Charlie in the sense that it's it's still Frank. You, you know, you're getting that reminder that it's under the suit and under the warthog. Fundamentally, it's still Frank Reynolds with all his old um, prejudices and all his old attitudes. And I, I love that. I love that they, you know, it's a good contrast because obviously, and I think you can apply the same to Mac when he becomes Vic Vinegar. I don't think there's a lot of Mac that he really wants to retain. I think he sees Vic Vinegar as a completely different person. Whereas when Charlie and Frank, I know they're not changing identities, but when they become new people or they have this sort of change of direction, they still bring with them a lot of their old facets or their old aspects of their personality. Yeah, it's a, it's key to it. Those three lines I gave you, by the way, they're not my favourite lines. That's just a million entree. Oh, really? It's the yeah, yeah. That's the start of the, the sushi. The uh, what do you have at the start of sushi? That's just the the rice rolls. What Charlie says um, after he said women and minorities, and the bloke says, "Who is this?" He said, "Charles Kelly. I'm going to be advising the warthog on matters of business and the what have you." Aspects <laughs> <laughs> um, of the he's bringing aspects of uh, lawyer Charlie, isn't it, in his dialogue? Yes, yeah. So, and there's a really good line after the uh, after the photocopy scene. So uh, Frank says, "If we're going to turn this thing around, we're going to have to cut the crust off this shit sandwich," <laughs> <laughs> which is really well done. But the three that I picked out were you've already referenced it. Just Max saying bodyguards when he says Dennis says, "Pitch me an idea." And he says bodyguards. He says what about <laughs> them? And then he goes results. <laughs> <laughs> so just the word bodyguards, and then. Obviously, in the last scene, there's a, a great line, and it's just, and they don't often do it in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but they adopt some slapstick. I don't know if you noticed when uh, Charlie says, Watch your profits soar high as a crow, and he puts his arm out and knocks Mac in the head. Yes. And, yeah, and he said, You said you were going to do it the other side. So <laughs> they do slapstick, and it's, it's really unusual to see, but, but good fun. My favorite line is when Dee decides to do a Canadian accent. And she says, uh, I seen better moose turds in Rick Moranis' backyard, you hooses. <laughs> Just trying to be the most stereotypical Canadian that possibly can be. You may uh, insert any other lines if you have. I think I've covered them um, when, I, when I jumped the gun and <laughs> interrupted you. But no, no, out, yeah, it doesn't work like that. You know that. <laughs> out, of, out of those ones, I, I really like, so I was just going to say with the bodyguards one, I just really like the fact that Mac likes the idea of being a bodyguard but there's just there isn't any depth to that <laughs> <laughs> just likes yeah. the feeling of being a bodyguard and it's very sort of spur of the moment so when, when they're introducing themselves he, he won't spend much time thinking about it he just says vic vinegar bodyguard and it's there's no meat to the bone he obviously hasn't thought through what that entails in terms yeah. of not being able to drink not being able to be like part of anything but he just loves the idea of being a bodyguard and he loves like the masculinity of it the extension of that when he he's sort of trying to make the best of being that character when they arrive at the resort and Mac sort of stops them and then he gives them the clear to like go forward. So he's trying to make the best of it. And Mac's obviously the security at the bar. And I think all of it sprouts from that, doesn't it? The thing is, when he says to them, I'm the bodyguard, in his head, what they see is him springing off the balcony, spraying bullets in the air. That's what he thinks they see. 
when he yeah. says he's a body, bodyguard. But they think, who the hell's this idiot? And there's one, uh, yeah, there's one um, nice little bit as well where um, when he decides um, he's going to leave him with the caddy, then Dennis shouts at, after him, "You got no commitment, vinegar." <laughs> <laughs> Which I really like. I think as well, one of the line I just remembered it, and it's again, it's going back to what we were saying about Charlie bringing his old character elements with him when he's in, when he's doing the accent with the Jap- Japanese businessmen, and he's saying, "There's an abundance of crow eggs." we're finding at the moment he's trying to convince them to invest in like crowing Uh, brilliant interestingly at that point you do get a fracture in the group and a realignment because of that um he sacks him and then him and matt get together to to make the fight milk so there is a yeah so there's a there is a little bit of a shift which isn't unusual i like how um how frank carries out the dismissal carries out the sacking he does it in such a nice way he apologizes to him says, i'm sorry charlie but you're out and he, you know you know you kind of expect him to be you know as a bit as the warthog to be this brutal person but he just sort of obviously emphasizes the friendship and the closeness that they have and he doesn't want to upset him he says i'm sorry charlie but you're out and i really like that yeah, yeah i think he even puts his hand on his shoulder doesn't he yeah even though charlie's not consoled he's he's absolutely devastated what i want to know is what charlie's writing on his pad when they go, <laughs> I'm a little bit disappointed that it's never like alluded to. So nobody says to him, "What are you writing there?" Drawing denim chicken or whatever it is. <laughs> His dream book. Before we talk about um, other small things, do you have any other kind of general notes? Uh, other general notes. Um, I just yeah, I mean, we've already mentioned it, but just I really like the return of Vic Vinegar and how it's strange because when when Vic Vinegar's were well, first introduced to Vic Vinegar. It works as is a duo, isn't it, with Dennis, Hugh Honey and yeah. Vic Vinegar. Honey and Vinegar real estate. And that in itself is brilliant. But I love the fact that Mac's so attached to the character. And Dennis has obviously moved past it and will never become Hugh Honey again. But Mac still believes in Vic Vinegar and still wants to be Vic Vinegar. Uh, so I think that's great. Honey and Vinegar was great as well because they were both vinegar. There was no honey. <laughs> there was there was no good cop bad cop. Dennis you know, Dennis was as horrible as uh, as Mac was. Mac Dennis was horrible and Mac was just stupid. And it was those two. I'd completely forgot at the start of the show what we normally do is say it's eleven fifteen on a Friday, by the way, and it's just directed by Richie Keane. And once again, as has been the case a couple of times, this was written by the Churning Brothers. Yeah, so shout out to those guys. Um, do you have any nits to pick? Not especially that jump out at me. Um, I guess <laughs> the, u- the use of racial epithets is quite liberal throughout the episode. I had, I had that. I've got just about one word, racism. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's obviously Frank being Frank, but it's a bit close to the bone, isn't it? And I think if you were, you know, with with, with the movements that we, we have happening at the moment, I think if you to try to write that episode and broadcast it now, I think even though this is a relatively recent episode, I think it's broadcast in 2012, things have changed a lot since then. And I feel even though, you know, they are doing it just to emphasise Frank's bigotry, I still think it's a bit, well, I don't know the right word, it's a bit abrasive, I guess. Yeah, it's a, it is an interesting thing to to ruminate on in the whole in the whole show, really, because the whole point of Frank is he's a dinosaur. Yeah. And... You know, and what they're getting you to do in this show is to try and love unlovable people. 
Yeah. And that's the whole point of it. And what they do with Frank is they take it to the nth degree. But Dennis is a, a misogynist or whatever's worse than a misogynist. And the, they all have really, really bad facets. It's just that with with Frank, they, they really, really push it. And I think part of that was seeing how far they could push it. And you're not supposed to to like it and you're not supposed to, it is supposed to jar with you. Mm. So, but again, when there's also a joke attached, it is difficult to reconcile. Yeah. It's, it's definitely something that outrages, but, you know, obviously they try to do it, that you're outraged at the character and, and who he is. And I think yeah. especially this one, like Frank at the, at the best of times is somebody that has a lot of bigotry within him. But in this episode, they're actually turning the volume up on Frank. So he's already a very bigoted person for him to become the warthog as well. It's not something that I'd call out as as being in, not even as necessarily being in bad taste. I just think you you have to really know the show and you have to really know the characters to yeah. find that palatable. I think if you were to watch it in isolation, and we always use this analogy of whether this would be an episode we'd introduce to a friend who hadn't seen the show before. I think on, on the basis that it's a very good episode, it certainly ticked that box. But as I say, I think there are a lot of things in this that need explaining, that need a little asterisk almost next to them. And that you can yeah. only really understand if you're a big fan of the show that sees how the characters have, de- have developed and how they've evolved. That's a really good point. And when you consider we're on 14 seasons now and this was season eight, you know, yeah. you're talking kind of like a midpoint. So everything about all those people and the characters and the situation is pretty well established. So as you say, people will know it will know and they'll they'll understand Dennis's complete and utter narcissism and Frank's bigotry. That is part of the joke. And and McElhenney, without doubt, is always testing the audience. So it, yeah, it does it does rankle. Uh, so it is a nit. The only other one I had is, you know, the when they're getting fitted up for the, the racquetball outfits. And I don't know why I noticed <laughs> that hyper detail, but that's clearly shot in a hotel room, in a really small hotel room, because they're forced into the corner. And they, <laughs> you can tell because there's like a one of those lights on the wall that you only get in hotel rooms. And there's a there's a table. So I presume they just decided to shoot it maybe when they did use the the country club, but it was one of those things that when I saw it, I couldn't get past it. <laughs> I hadn't noticed so, that, but you've obviously, you've obviously ruined that scene for me now. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a shame because it is a great, visually, it's a great scene yeah. with them both in the same outfit where they were in their headbands as well. I, I want to know how you distinguish between tennis and racquetball. Racquetball is a form, is, a, is like squash, but yeah. with big rackets and very bouncy balls. And are the rackets visible in the scene? Is that how you know? Because I just saw the scene. I see the headbands. I thought, oh, they're getting dressed. No, no, he mentions it. He mentions it. Oh, does he? Oh, He he actually says the word racquetball. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's not my, uh, yeah, hyper distinction of a type of headband. (laughs) (laughs) Fair Uh, enough. But I I love those shorts as well, because the shorts they chose are really 80s. They're the ones that, like, Alan Partridge wears when his lining perishes. I like to believe as well that um, that they've no intention of playing racquetball. (laughs) Hundred <laughs> percent. So no more, no more nits. No, no, none. I think it's a really strong episode. Um, none that I can think of at the moment. I think it's possibly not really a nit, but it's a shame that you don't see. And there's a lot happening in this episode, so it's difficult to be too critical. But I'd have liked to have seen Frank bounce off the other business people a bit more. So you know, the business people they're introduced to this in the first scene. I'd have liked yeah. to have seen you know Frank framed by them a little bit just to see him who he is and how the attitudes of the business have changed and how he's his hasn't and for them to explore his departure from the business as well 
what made him leave in the first place. Because there are two stories there that would that would make two episodes. The whole Lefebvre thing would them showing them through the week and the things they do for Dennis. <laughs> There's that that bit where they say we got both of you jerked off. <laughs> that you could get a full episode out of Lefebvre, I think. I think we didn't mention, did we, that Brian Lefebvre actually, I think we alluded to it briefly, but um, brings Brian Lefebvre back, doesn't he? He becomes Brian, and he even has a son called Brian Jr. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, that could make an episode in, it, in itself. But as you say, a really strong episode would be the Warthog, him and Charlie, taking the business, making it better, and then just ruining it straight away. That would be a great episode. Quite pivotal to to who Frank is and, and what he is, because as we always say, one of the the facets of the show is the fact that Frank can often rescue things with his money. To so a deeper dive into that would would be nice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Any ickiness? I've got one ickiness. You've probably got the same thing. I guess the sushi scene a little bit, but... They're just laying it on thick, aren't they? And they just went for the whole joke once Frank's mentioned it. But the, icky, the real ickiness I had was the finger... Why? <laughs> yeah, and and it's completely pointless as well. There's so much going on in that scene. There's no need to say Lefebvre died and I've cut off his finger because they've got their fight milk thing going on anyway. Dennis has got his Lefebvre thing. We we just don't need don't need the finger. Well, I think what it does is it gives them something visual. So when they go, that's not Brian Lefebvre, and they go, this is Brian Lefebvre. Yeah, it, it just gives. I can't remember this Charlie or Mark. I think it might be Charlie. He's holding the finger, isn't he? It gives them something to point to. So whether it's you can just describe them factoring a severed finger just so they've got something to point to when they say this is Brian Lefebvre, I don't know. But I think that's the reason they did it. And it's funny how dismissive and how they trivialise it and they talk about, oh, it's just a miscommunication that they wanted fingerprints and I thought it said fingertips. <laughs> so I it off. They're just laughing it off as, oh, well. And before we decide who won the episode, just a couple of T-shirts um, two good T-shirts. Get a piece of the rock and the Detroit, the classic Detroit with the smoking gun. It's a great yeah. T-shirt. But the shirt, you know, the shirt that Mark wears, it, and it has the American flag on it, but it has something else, and I can't remember what it is off the top of my head now. But as we said, there's a lot going on in that shirt. It reminds yeah. me when he wears when, when he, he puts on loads of weight and he wears his Tommy Bahama shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reminds me of that. There's, there's so often that thing they do again. It's a little kind of trope that they do where somebody will wear something. And the other, and you'll expect the others to say, "What the hell are you doing?" They'll say, "Yeah, that's really good, actually." <laughs> you know, like the duster. They all love the duster, for yeah. example, which is a hideous item. You know, <laughs> that's where Jabronis comes from, isn't it? The Max big break when he wears the yeah. duster to take his ice hockey shot. Shout out to that episode. So, who won the episode? I had written down Frank and Dennis win the episode, but at the very end, Charlie wins it too. Frank asks him about. Charlie's the one that's least bothered. He's, he's not bothered about the fact that Charlie, uh, that Frank sold the business. But then Frank shows an interest in the in the fight milk. And, and Charlie's obviously loves the fact that Frank's interested in fight milk. And the great thing about that is it obviously frames up the later episode where Frank's fluids owns fight milk. Yeah, you couldn't have set it up any better, really, for Frank's fluids. Yeah, so definitely Dennis, because Dennis gets off and goes on a big rant about how he got off and how yeah. great it was to get off. So De so D, I suppose, loses because she's mystified by the fact, by everything going on around her, but by the fact that Dennis gets off on it. Uh, I suppose Max neutral, but he does, he'll get to benefit in the future from the fight milk. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and definitely Frank gets what he wants out of it. Charlie gets a little bonus. 
Frank just gets what he wants in the sense that he gets to relive who he was for a very brief period and then just exit and return to who he is now. Which is, as we said, because Frank always needs um, cash to get them out of trouble, that's all that Frank wants. You know, have a bit of fun, but have cash reserves ready. So he gets exactly what he wants. And it's strange, like, it's strange to see Dennis, you know, thinking about it, I can't think of many episodes that Dennis wins. So for him to get exactly what he wants. It's quite common that there is a setup where he tries very hard, put himself in a situation where he yeah. will win something. And in almost, as you say, in almost every case, the, the very opposite happens. So there you go. We award this one to rare, a rare win for Dennis. Chalk it up. And any other notes before we decide on our next episode? Interesting in the context of what we discussed about some of the, the racism. And I think, I think we've covered that off though. But yeah, one of my favourites. You know, we seem to be on a, a really good streak of episodes at the moment. So, yeah, really happy to revisit it. We've done very, very well for a first set. So yeah. let's go over to Agent Jack Bauer, our uh, random number, number generator. I have put in 1 to 14 for our, um, our season. So tell me how many times to press his little head. Twice. Season three. Oh, an early one. How many episodes in season three? Quite a lot. Is that... 15 episodes. 15. Can you imagine making, watching a British sitcom that has 15 episodes? It's, <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? It is crazy. I feel sorry for British writers because they have to get so much over in one, two episodes. Yeah. You know, build up the characters, get some jokes in, make the situation funny, get people to understand. Because four episodes later, it's all over. Like we talked about Parks and Recreation, haven't we? That, you know, one of the strengths of it is that you can just watch, watch it again and again and again you don't have to have millions of jokes because you're just getting under the skin of the characters and that's that's enough yeah. yes it's i think it's the longest season season six has 14 episodes and then around between one and seven it kind of deviates a little bit but then from eight onwards they're just solid 10 episode seasons yeah i wonder if they because they got recommissioned on the strength they had to have a big name they got danny devito so they got number two across the line yeah and then then maybe in the third one, they thought maybe they weren't absolutely sure that they'd get a fourth series. Maybe quite a few of those were always supposed to be in, in another season. But anyway, yeah. 1 to 15, how many times? Uh, once. Episode 12. Oh, it's a two-parter. It's the first of a two-parter, and it's the gang gets whacked. Uh, we'll have to do another double then. We'll do the double. This was, I'm just looking at the air dates and, and the thing about season three, and I'm not sure if it's the case in any other seasons, but because there are 15 episodes, there are actually quite a few in that season that are first aired the same time. In fact, I think there's only two that aren't. So obviously the gang gets whacked. Both of those are aired on 2007. We're talking here, by the way. So some 13 years ago, we're going blimey. But there's a lot in that season that were, so for example, the first two episodes, the gang finds a dumpster baby and the gang gets invincible. Both were out on September 13th, so that's interesting. But yeah, we'll do the double then. It's different writers for both, but the same director, so both directed by Matt Shackman. Ah, uh, yeah, the reliable hands of Matt Shackman. Great pair of episodes, so yeah. much, so much to enjoy. And yeah, really looking forward to that again now. We've done really, really well. The extras in those episodes as well with the Mafia guy. Yeah, some great clothes. More, yeah. more clothes to talk about and yeah some great extras and like just really taking cliches to the limit but in a in a really funny way a lot to look forward to next time we will be the, doing the double 
header of The Gang Gets Whacked. Um, if there's nothing else, it's a good night from me. Good night from me.